Welcome to Inside the Four Walls. Sports nutrition, active nutrition, and lifestyle nutrition is our world. It's changing, it's adapting, and it's evolving at a pace not many of us had anticipated. And we want to know more. I've learned over the years that some of the best insight is derived through conversation. And if you truly want to understand the dynamics of the market, you need to look beneath the surface. You need to ask those from within. So that's what we're doing. We talk to people from within the industry, those that have opinion, those that have been at the coalface, and those that have been there and done it. So buckle in and enjoy the ride. I'm Nick Morgan, and this is Inside the Four Walls. Welcome to episode nine of Inside the Four Walls. Now it's time to go a little bit more mainstream. I think the term protein has gone mainstream or sports nutrition has gone mainstream. It's just on the tip of everyone's tongue, almost to the point where I think at times it's a little bit overused in terms of what does that really mean? How mainstream has it gone? Are people really winning, being successful? Are they gaining traction? I think we all know that high protein as a trend is, is absolutely huge. It's significant. It's impacting the way that we do business. But do we know enough about it? Well, that's what episode nine is all about. And to do that, we're going to go back across to the US and we're going to talk to Bob Crawl, who is the founder, and Andy Horro, who's the president of Protein 2.0. Now, they are globally the biggest protein water brand available. So if we're going to find out about how mainstream protein is and the extent to which you can create these brands for everyday people based on the functionality of protein, well, let's go and ask those that have been there and done it. So over to you, Bob and Andy, for some great insight um, and a really intriguing understanding of communication and positioning and definitely a lot for us to think about. So sit back and enjoy. Bob, Andy, welcome to Inside the Four Walls. Um, you won't necessarily know, but we have made you've made it to episode nine um, we've had a, a great start, um, lots of amazing sort of stories and insights covering both Europe and the US. Um, and today we're going to find out a little bit more about you two um, and protein to owe. Um, I've got to start, Bob, because um, it's kind of, I feel like it's your brainchild, um, but it'd be great for you to give us a starting point with who is or what is protein to owe for everyone listening. Well, first of all, Nick, thank you for inviting us. We're, we're happy to participate and excited to, uh, to, to, to move forward. Uh, protein 2.0, so I have a long history in retail. My whole background is retail. I, I have a pharmacy degree and haven't really worked as a pharmacist. I worked with Walgreens for 25 years. I, was, um, I ended up being senior vice president of merchandising. So I had private label, I had merchandising, I wrote the ads. And uh, my most my favorite part of the job was the private label part where I could actually create product. And after um, after 25 years, uh, General Nutrition Centers called me GNC here in the United States. They were going through an IPO and they were looking for a few executives to come over and help them uh, run through the IPO. So I went to GNC and I was actually commuting from Chicago to Pittsburgh. And I thought that was a good idea. Well, that wasn't a great idea. It was actually a horrible idea. But I, what, what was a good idea was I learned a lot about private label and private label development and product development. At that time, General Nutrition Centers was selling 60%, 60% of the protein in the United States, which was incredible to me. And as I was running that department, I basically had the same job at GNC as I had at, um, at, at Walgreens. And as I was looking into um, uh, the protein and the 60%, all of a sudden that category started going up single digits. And then, and then actually it was going up in the high teens. And I went to, and, I, and my analysts take a look and say, what's, what's going on here? And what happened was that protein was going crazy. It was increasing at a high rate. It was responsible for almost doubling the, uh, the GNC uh, uh, stock price. And so, what I saw was the, I saw that that protein was doing really well. Protein was was really at the at the, at the very beginning of the growth. One thing at Walgreens that we always did was we looked at companies, we looked at niche retailers and great companies like GNC, and we look at what they do, and then we then we take what they're doing well and bring it over to mass, and then they got to find something else. That's just what we did. 
Well, instead of being with Walgreens and looking at, at, at what we could do from GNC, I thought to myself, you know what? With protein going crazy, there's really, in sales, there's really no low calorie alternative for protein. That, you know, it was, it was all shakes and, and it had high calories, a lot of ingredients and certainly good product. But I thought that, you know what? This is a great opportunity to, to create a low calorie, great tasting, refreshing beverage. For me, it was like um, Coke to Diet Coke or, or Miller beer to light beer moment, right? So it's like protein to diet protein. So I thought, you know what? This is a, this is a, this is a great opportunity. Um, I wasn't really crazy about commuting from Chicago. I said, you know, I'm just going to start a company on my own. So we created, Protein was created about seven years ago. It was actually created with my son, Rob, and myself. And um, we, what we created and what we did was create a low-calorie protein beverage that actually tastes really good. Now, we didn't go from really, really great seven years ago to where we are today without a lot of bumps in the road. But basically, that was, that was the idea, right? Delivering protein and a great refreshing beverage. What, what I love about that, Bob, and what I find most interesting is from the outset, you always describe it as a, as a low-calorie protein solution. So in contrast, the reason why it fascinates me and in contrast a little bit to the European story, and I don't know what it's like in the US, so please tell me, is everyone talks about sports, uh, protein coming from sports nutrition going out. So they talk about how you, you downplay or you simplify function, et cetera. You haven't mentioned anything about that function. Oh, it's a great functional protein drink for everybody. Everyone deserves protein, which might still be in there, but actually you went, it's a low calorie protein. It's diet Coke to Coke. And that is a very different mindset, actually, fundamentally to anybody else that mostly over here talks about when they think about protein water. So just give me a bit about that. Yeah, so protein, so, so protein as essence was, was really sports and athletes and, body, you know, looking, looking to, you know, to, to gain bulk muscle. And, and protein has incredible benefits, increased metabolism, satiety, um, cognitive, you know, cognitive results. So I, so what I did was I said, you know what, let's just, um, let's create a protein without calories. And, and, and what that actually does is protein with calories builds bulk muscle, protein without calories builds lean muscle. So all the calories you get from our drink are basically coming from protein. So those calories are all very beneficial and very useful. And, and quite honestly, I don't think you can ask anybody to say, what well, do you, you know, what these benefits of protein, what benefit don't you want? The, the benefits are, are mass. Yeah, we focus on an on a, on a, on a, on a individual, but the benefits of protein are incredible. And the fact that we can deliver it without calories and the fact that we can put it in a beverage aisle and be one of the two beverages in that aisle that actually has a functional measurable benefit to me was a, was a great opportunity for us. Were you the first protein water available in the US? I mean, how early were you or how, how ahead of the curve were you on this? Because seven years ago is reasonable distance in terms of protein waters. Well, so we, we were pretty ahead of the curve and, um, and, it, and, and it was in one of our most difficult um, one of the most difficult things we had to do was say, was tell the consumer, somehow let the consumer know that, you know, protein in water actually tastes good. And, you know, it actually is, is, is really great tasting. So yeah, we were well ahead of the curve. A couple companies came out with it early. Um, actually, uh, Muscle Milk came out with the protein water and, and, and failed and took it off the market. But based on my experience at GNC and based on my experience on Walgreens, I, and Rob and my son and I felt that we could develop a product that would be that would be really good and 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 would do, and do well in, in the store. So we were way, we were way ahead of the curve. You know, we're fortunate that we're still here because now we're although we were at the very bottom of that hockey stick, right? Now we're now we're seeing now we're seeing the explosion of growth. We're seeing the you know. It, you know, a lot of the uh, population is, is wanting more and more protein. And so we're, we're riding, um, you know, we're riding the, the winds of, 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 of the benefits of protein right now. And how was it, how it was received in those early days then? Give us a flavor of, you know, the response you got from retailers and, uh, and so on. Uh, it'd be well, quite interesting. Nick, I can tell you this. It was a lot easier being behind the desk 
and with Walgreens and GNC that it was in front of the desk trying to tell them this was a great idea. That, that, that was, that was I, I didn't realize how good I had it behind that desk. But I think, you know, it's, if, 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 if somehow I can articulate the benefits and articulate why you put this in the aisle and why the consumer is looking for this, then, then, then I think that the category managers or the, our different retail partners, um, you know, accepted us. But it, it, it wasn't easy and I always say this, and if I knew then what I knew now, I'm not sure I would have started Protein 2.0. I think I made, might have stayed behind the desk. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's been a fun ride. I, I can tell you, it hasn't always been, it hasn't always been, um, hasn't always been great, but it's, it's a fun ride. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a privilege for me to be able to work with my son, Rob. Um, him and I create this product, create this brand, which, which means a lot to me. And I know it means a lot to Rob. So. Where did it go in originally? So when you first got it out there or through the early years, where did it go in store? Was it treated as a soft drink? Was it treated as a functional drink? Was it stuck in the sports nutrition aisle? Where, where, where did you go? Yeah. Good question. So, so early on, I mean, we have a core group of individuals. We started the company. One of the most valuable members of our company is, is uh, Matt Brait. And he, is, he's, he, was our, he was our sales guy. He was out hitting the streets and he, he hit high V hard. And Hy-Vee is a great company that the managers can make the decisions. They can bring products in. And, and he got us into Hy-Vee. And getting into Hy-Vee was, was, was we started out, you know, store, this one store, two store. And eventually we got to the entire chain. Eventually Hy-Vee became big business. But we were, we were actually located in the nutritional aisle at, at Hy-Vee. And, and sometimes they put us in with with functional beverages, but really we got our start at Hy-Vee in the Midwest. Yeah. And who, who would you say, before we describe the, the, the context of change um, and the mindset change, the channel change, the everything, who were your early consumers? Um, were, they, were they traditional protein consumers? Were they more sport and active type people? Or did you, did you get um, traction with a, you know, a broader mainstream consumer quite early? Uh, I mean, for the most part, it was that consumer that was looking to go to a healthier lifestyle. It was that, you know, they, they you know, the number one ingredient consumers are looking for when they go into a, a grocery store is protein. But um, so, you know, delivering, so, so somehow delivering protein in a great tasting uh, beverage um, was something that consumers were looking for. Our job was not only to get it in the aisle, but get it on an end stand or on a pallet display and have the consumer see it. And then if they can see it enough, then they, then they buy us. And then quite honestly, we have 35% repeat buy rate on our product. And it's, um, and, and that's what we, so we, that's, that's what we rely on. Get the product in, get it on display, have the consumers try it. Well, I, I remember working with uh, Procter and Gamble and I had a, a, a meeting with the CEO when I was with Walgreens and we did a lot of business. So it, it, you met at very high levels. And he told me, he said, Bob, there's, there's, two, there's two moments of truth on every product that you sell. One, will the customer buy it? Will they try it? And, 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 that is, and that is, that's really creating a product that goes on the shelf that, that consumers can somehow see it and recognize it in the sea of colors and the sea of products. I think one of the first to, 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 to do really a great job of that is Fructis. Everybody knows that Fructis Electric Green. So, 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 so Rob does the designing of the bottles, which he does or the labels, he does a great job. So first thing we had to create a label, we had to create a product that people would look at, but, but, but number two, and the most important part is, will that consumer buy it again? And that's what we're focused on. How do we, make every single consumer that tries our product happy and how do we deliver a positive experience yeah it's a really it's a really important point and one we've reflected on previously in a previous podcast actually about you can always sell something once but can you get repeat purchase um i just the last point about some of the beginnings before we move up to where we are now and give people the, the context of what you have created um I guess my question is around the naming because 
in some respects, it's, it's beautiful, right? Because everyone now, branding agencies, they want to come up with something really cool, really creative, um, really motivational, um, loads of things that mean loads of other things, but you have to read the backstory to actually understand what a brand name means, which, by the way, is nothing wrong with that because that's, that's good for some consumers these days. But you basically told people what it is on a tin, right? So um, I, I assume that was probably a really important thing from the outset at a time when you were maybe ahead of the curve. I, I completely agree, Nick. One of the, so, so I, I launched a lot of great products at Walgreens. Um, we were really the first chain to launch five hour energy. We really um, were one of, the, one, of the, one of the companies responsible for vitamin water's early success. And when you, when you and so I try to take all the great things that launching products that I saw at Walgreens and apply it to what Rob and I were creating with Protein 2.0. And you don't have to think real hard on what five-hour energy is. <laughs> it is, you know, it kind of is. It kind of is what it is. And then you also don't have to think like, what is, you know, what is vitamin water? And and based on all the my analysts and all the and, and and all the people that I had working that I was able to work with at Walgreens, you know, I know that you have less than a second to grab that consumer's attention and deliver that message to that consumer. What is the phrase that pays? And you could come up with all the fancy names in the world, but if a consumer has to think about it and then they have to go to the bottle and they have to look at it and they still don't understand they go back to the bottle, that's a hard thing to accomplish. So I think protein 2.0 is, is you don't have to think real hard what we are. There's definitely protein in this product. Now, sometimes people call us protein 2.0. Some things they call us protein 20. But, you know, but protein, but the one thing you don't have to think about is we're delivering protein to you. So we've got a great story of being ahead of the curve. And I can't even begin to imagine the conversations you must have had to try and get people's head around at the beginning when, when you, you are a pioneer, you are you know, starting something off a category creator in many respects. I guess bringing us up to January 2021, it always is the, 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 one of the questions everyone does like to understand, which is kind of, so where are you? You know, how, everyone tells me you're the number one in the US. What, what does that actually mean? Give us some sense of sort of um, where you are in terms of uh, revenue figures. And, and, and if you can, some degree of um, the rate of that growth to that figure over the last seven years would be fantastic. Sure. Well, I mean, right now we're approaching uh, $30 million a year. Um, 2020 will be up 60-ish percentage from points from uh, 2019. Um, you know, we're growing. Uh, we're doing well, but we're only scratching the surface. And Andy, maybe you want to jump in here because I know you handle a lot of the sales. Sure, sure, Nick. Um, so look, I mean, where we are now is still, I would consider to be at the very beginning of the runway, right? So, you know, we are, we are national in the US, we're sold throughout Canada, um, but we're not everywhere. And that, that means that, you know, we're, we're in some strategic places, we're in, uh, we have some demographic and geographic sort of strongholds, but man, like we're, we're just beginning. Um, and you know, to, to really scale this business right now. And, but at 30 million US dollars, you'd be the, you'd be by far and away the number one protein water in the market, right? Globally. Not even close. We are, we are definitely number one. Um, but you know, we, we, look, we're number one and we try harder. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it, it is, it's, it's, we certainly aren't, you know, we certainly aren't patting ourselves on the back and saying, wow, we're, we're number one. What I like about our company is when I was with Walgreens, trying to turn that 50-ish billion dollar company and with, whether it be ads or whether it be product, whatever, was like steering a battleship. It took you forever to move that battleship, right? To turn that battleship. Protein 2.0 is like a jet ski. You know, we're, 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 you know, we, we're betting on, we're betting on what the consumer will look for, you know, protein plus benefits is something that we've, we've, we've gone that with. And so, so we can make really early decisions. We can base it on experience. We can base it on, on data, 
But the fact that we, and, and, and now you have e-commerce and Amazon, you can try anything on e-commerce and it's, and, and those consumers will tell you within minutes of whether you're right or wrong. You know, we're fortunate in that identifying the trends, identifying where we should be, getting it right, getting and, and listening to our consumers will, will be what is the wind behind our sales. That's how we're gonna be successful. And, and we're, and so far we're right more often than we're wrong, but I'm not supposed to say we've been wrong. And um, Andy, you actually said beginning of the runway, which actually uh, sounds like, I mean, the US is a big, you know, it's a big country and then internationally beyond that as well. Um, you know, what, what does the, what does the end point of the runway look like? Or what, what goals have you set in terms of along the way, in terms of what, what do you think is achievable? Um, I, I'll be honest, truly honest. I, I didn't know how big protein waters actually were. Um, and so it, it's nice to have that figure. So what is, I mean, it feels like you're on some exponential curve of 60% from 219 to 220. Yeah. So, you know, we must be, it must be a big number at the end of, uh, at the end of this journey. Well, I'm not sure that we're ever going to say there's going to ever be a big, uh, any number at the end of the journey. Cause I don't know that we see an end of the journey. Right. I mean, I, you know, I think that we, we, we see the beginning of the journey and we see the next few chapters. I mean, look, think about it like this, Nick, we, we, we're talking in terms of protein water, right? And protein water is still a, a, a an incredibly small sort of idea in a consumer's mind. And that's because they really don't, they, most people haven't been exposed to it. They don't really understand it. There's still this idea uh, that we put on in, throughout our marketing. How is this possible, right? It's still a very underdeveloped idea. I think you have to think about the, the, the broad context of how big this thing can be in terms of two really big categories right now that we fit neatly into, right? One is obviously the explosive growth of protein, which Bob talked a little bit about, but, but, but certainly in its ready-to-drink form, we see billion-dollar companies selling you know, shakes and ready-to-drink forms, and we are the low-calorie refreshing alternative to that, right? But there's also this explosion of what I'll put in my little, you know, quotation marks, functional water, right? People are always looking for benefits in their beverages and in their functional, you know, in, in waters, but most quote unquote functional waters don't have any function. And this one does. So if you think about it with that frame of reference, you get the context of gigantic protein category with explosive growth and this gigantic idea of functional water with explosive growth. And that's where you really begin to see the roadmap to an, an, an incredible future ahead for us. And, and the idea with functional benefits, you know, I, I've, I've launched thousands of products at, at Walgreens and GNC. The most successful were having functional benefits, but actually when you drink it, you feel it, right? Like five-hour energy, you knew that you had that you're get that that caffeine's there and you're getting energy. You know, with our product, when you drink protein, you will feel this. You will feel satiety happens. You will feel full when you drink our protein um, with energy. You're going to feel you're going to feel that energy and that benefit of that product. So creating a product that you can actually feel the benefit. To me, and, and from my experience at Walgreens, was huge, huge benefit, and and that's kind of what we're doing now, right? We're creating product that not only has has real benefits, measurable benefits, based on science that's not going to go away. Protein is one of the most studied ingredients there are, and then you're adding these different benefits that consumers can feel, and we're clearly seeing the pull on the shelves by creating these benefits. And. Um... I guess what's what's fascinating to me is how caught up are the retailers on that? Because when when we talk, super growth of protein, super growth of functional waters, it's a no brainer. But how 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 where are the retailers on their maturity um, of curve of understanding? Well, Nick, I will tell you, um, depending on the retailer, not very <laughs> mature, um, and 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 that's because if you think about the retail environment here, right, these guys are under enormous pressure, right, to drive people into their doors and drive shopping basket, you know, volume, right? So it is very easy for any retailer 
to take the lowest hanging fruit, the most known items, right? And push those through the system. Um, the bravest retailers, the most innovative retailers, the, one who are the, the ones who are the most forward thinking, those are the ones who make sure they carve out enough space on their shelves for items like ours to really make a difference. Because inherently in their soul, they know that consumer trends are changing, right? But you know, it's not every retailer does not have the same sort of backbone to be able to say, you know, I'm I'm going to take out the fifth or sixth or seventh skew of 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 of, of a well-known brand to put in three skews of a lesser-known brand, right? So, depending on the retailer, there's a, a definite, you know, a, a gradual sense of maturity, if you will. Yeah, and one of the things I found when I was at Walgreens and. And I came from operations, so I thought I knew a lot about merchandising. I didn't realize how little I knew until I, I got involved. But how, how companies, how chains increase sales is not by taking the same items and crossing your fingers and hoping they'll sell more. Increasing flavor proliferation doesn't increase your sales. It just makes that pie in the smaller slices. What drove sales at Walgreens is, was innovation. If I wanted... If, if I wanted to be up one or 2% a year in sales, I just kept doing the same thing over and over again and would rely on customer count. But what drove sales from one and 2% to between six and 8% when I had Walgreens merchandising was innovation, new items, and especially innovations where they're not trading something out. This is a new sale. So you're, so you're not only having the brands that the, that, the, that the business is built on on that shelf, but you're having innovation that consumers are buying in addition to. And our product is in addition to. Yeah, there's definitely a place for the shakes and the, and the companies that we admire like Premier, Muscle Milk, et cetera. There's a place for that. But there's also a place for our product where it's a healthy snack. You take it in the middle of the day. It's a bit of an energy boost. It, 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 it makes you feel full it's, and, and, and it's a new sale in addition to what you had. The key to growing sales is innovation and we're trying to put that innovation on the shelf and, and somewhat how fit into that. Just before we come on to the innovation, because actually I think it's a really interesting place, particularly what you've done, just um, price, where do you, how do you um, scale where you sit on, the, on, on price in terms of how much do you retail at and to what degree is is that um, aligned more to functional waters? Is is there still a, you know you're asking the consumer to pay still a little bit more for that benefit? And, and to what degree is that um, either restricting, inhibiting, or you know where does that sit in terms of fueling growth? Right. I mean, look, I think that you know the the the, the good thing is that consumers expect to spend more on protein, and we'll give some credit to. Um, you know, the larger protein companies for, you know, really helping keep, you know, price at a premium because protein is an expensive ingredient, right? I, I spent a lot of years working um, for Gatorade and other Pepsi brands, and it's really easy to make a high margin um, on a product um, and sell at a low price when you have, you know, basically sugar, water, and salt in your product, <laughs> right? But when you have an expensive ingredient like protein, I mean, consumers know. So, you know, from a protein perspective, um, pricing is, we're in a really nice spot, right? I mean, we're, you know, we, we generally, um, you know, are selling any, anywhere in like the sort of $1.99 to $2.49 sort of per, um, you know, 16 ounce bottle range, right? Um, when it comes to waters or isotonics, that's a much more challenging section of the store pricing wise, because again, I talked about these sort of, you know, high margin, low cost um, sort of products, right? There are a couple of products, um, brands out there that have kept price at a premium. And that's been a really good bellwether for us when we're in those water sections of the store. Um, so, you know, we're at a comfortable price point for a retailer and we're at a comfortable price point for a consumer. Brilliant. Um, what uh, what I'm, I'm, I'm really, kind of interested in as, as we as we build that out is um i suppose where you've extended the product range to because uh, i think that's a really important thing so i guess uh, between the two of you you know how firstly how many iterations have you got to on protein to in terms of improvements and you know that took probably i'm going to say over five years because then you launched 
protein to O plus, so with benefits. So um, it'd be great just to give us an understanding of how much about to improve the current one, and then just a little bit of understanding of the rationale behind the benefits range. Yeah, I, I mean, Nick, I read every single consumer complaint that comes through our customer service. Sometimes they're compliments. Yeah. Sometimes they're compliments. <laughs> I delete those immediately. <laughs> so, so, so I, you know, and, and our customer service, of course, handles it. But, you know, I, I think it's important to listen to your consumer. We started out with, um, with sucralose and the dyes, et cetera. And, 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 you know, and so, you know, we, we, three or four years ago, we said, you know what, let's create a product with no barriers. Let's create all, you know, that all natural sweeteners. Let's create all natural flavors. Let's do all natural colors. And, and so we, we kind of, we, we kind of, we, you know, most of our product now has, is, is, has those all natural ingredients. We've also listened to the consumers and they say, Maybe it's, if I, if I see, look, if one consumer says something, it is what it is, right? But if I see, if I see a lot of consumers say, hey, we, I really love your product, but why is, it so, why is this flavor so sweet? And I see enough of it, then we go out and change it. Our number one skew mixed berry. Uh, well, actually our number one skew is the energy now, but our number, our, back then our number one skew was mixed berry. We probably changed it three different times. So because listening to consumer, it's this, it's that. But if you, if enough people say it, and then we get it, and then Andy is, I mean, his whole background is marketing. He's great at marketing. He's our president, but he's, he has, especially he's really good at marketing. You know, he'll go out, we'll go out and talk to the consumers, but we're not afraid, you know, we're a jet ski. If we can do, if we hear it enough, if we, if we know we can do better, we are always, always, always looking to make our product better. And going to the, so for everyone listening, for those who don't know, but I'm sure they do, protein dough is the, the core, the core product is the original hero, protein water in, in a, a range of exciting, refreshing flavors. The first innovation extension, I, would, I say first, because you've obviously iterated on flavors as a renovation, et cetera. But first big innovation shift in a range portfolio would be, if I'm right, is protein to O plus. Is that correct? Which is effectively with the range of functional benefits. Um, Correct. On the basis that protein duo sort of, you know, low calorie diet Coke to Coke, it almost, is there something juxtapositions where you've gone back to being even more functional? What, where, or was that about differentiating from further me too's following you into the market? What's the rationale? Or maybe I'm just overthinking it, which is also fine. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, from, you know, I, I, we do a lot. I do I do a lot of looking at the shelves and seeing what's going on, and 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 it's and you don't have to be a um, a rocket scientist to see that energy is was doing well. So I remember at a board meeting, you were at the board meeting, and I I said, um, "Yo, we're gonna do. I want to create an energy skew." Um, our 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 chairwoman of the board looked at me like I was in, insane. Why are you doing that? And, and I love Sue Wellington's incredible. And then our, the, our, our other board member said, uh, you know, it's not going to work. But you know, if it, 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 to me, it wasn't that hard. We did it. I did it anyways. And, you know, it, and, and it was an incredible success. But you know, it's, 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 you if, you, if, you, if, if you think real hard, and you use your experience, and I'm old, so I have a lot of experience, then you can leverage that into, into taking a chance. And, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the great thing about this company and the great thing about the world that we're in today is you don't have to produce 100,000 cases to take a chance. You don't have to put it in the, on the, in the brick and mortar to take that chance. You can create 1,800 cases of product you can, we have the relationship with Amazon that we get it immediately listed and you'll know right away what, whether, whether it's successful or not. And that's what we do. You know, we use our, we use our, we use our, our, our size and our, and our, and our ability to, to move quickly. And then if we get it right, then that accelerator goes right to the floor. 
and we go with it. And that's what we did. You know, I remember, yeah, we tried the energy, we produced the energy. I put a flavor that I thought would do well based on at GNC. I knew that, and, and I knew that the most likely consumer of our product would be um, male for the most part. I'm sure females drink, my wife drinks the uh, cherry lemonade with energy. But I knew that the best selling flavor at GNC was blue anything, blue watermelon, blue cherry, blue whatever. So, so I knew that, you know, I just went and said, you know what? based on experience, based on what I saw at GNC, based on that end consumer, let's create blue raspberry with energy. And it was, it's like, wow, I can't believe what's happening here. It's incredible. So that's kind of what we do. Yeah, I mean, I think Nick, like if you just, last I would just add to that is like, you know, we're really, we're really good sort of listeners to what's happening, in, you know, in, in the consumer world, right? I mean, the, the number one trend and it's been going on forever and ever here in the US is convenience, right? Consumers want function and they want convenience. But if they have to choose between I want protein and, uh, and calories and added functionality and maybe energy and I really want to recover after my workout, that's a lot of thoughts for them to try to put together. If we could demystify that and we can say we can come up with offerings that can suit all or almost all of your needs, that's where protein 2O plus really lives, right? Um, now a consumer who is done working out or is prepping to work out can get his or her protein plus the caffeine they need to either start their day right or, or, or start their workout right. The same thing with electrolytes. You don't have to choose between a protein drink and a Gatorade. Now you have one in the same. No, it's perfect. And actually, I mean, Bob, if people were listening carefully, I mean, you basically said that, you know, the protein energy is your, is your number one skew. So your, your, um, your gut position on doing it anyway, as you described, wasn't, wasn't a bad route. But I think that, I think it is fascinating, but also demonstrates that those, you know, that goes together and, you know, the multifunctional platform of a drink is offering <clears throat> more. I'm sure I have seen previously in a, in a prior life that actually consumers also do refer to protein being, you know, energizing as well um, sure. as a consumer benefit, whether to the pure scientists out there, they, they would not necessarily say that, of course, it still provides calories. Um, so that, that's fascinating. And it, I'm desperate to talk to you about the electrolyte one because your background in Gatorade is, is really fascinating. And um, to, to me, I've always been fascinated that, you know, Gatorade, uh, Powerade, over here, Lucasade, um, you know, always owned the sort of before and during and they've had protein drinks in the past. I just, it's, I just can't understand how they've not quite managed to own um, the, 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 the recovery space, but with a protein water, not a shake. Um, and that with electrolytes just feels like a great sports drink proposition. Is, is, that, is that how it's evolving? Well, I'm gonna let Andy answer it, but we think Gatorade is fine, exactly what they're doing. And I wouldn't change anything. <laughs> <laughs> but Andy, you, you can follow up on that. I mean, look, look, honestly, like, you know, I, I love Gatorade, right? It was, uh, uh, you, know, I, you know, those of us who worked there for as long as we did, you know, we, we, we always say we'd be bleed green and like, there's still, there's, there's a bit of that in me, right? They were, they were a true pioneer innovator um, in the world of beverage more than any other brand probably ever has been or, 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 or will be for a long time, right? So great, great reverence, right? <clears throat> But you know, in, in the case of Gatorade, why haven't they done this? I think, look, I mean, it, it's hard for a very established brand to really pick up some adjacencies sometimes, right? And, and so, you know, they have permission to do it, but it's hard for them, right? They're a, they're a $5 billion brand or bigger, right? Um, you know, any, anything they do that is a mistake, they stumble over. Anything that can't make a 70 margin is going to be very tough for them, right? Their manufacturing facilities are set up to make sugar salt water, you know? And so it, it, it's not easy for a company like PepsiCo to do something boutique and let it grow and let it nurture. It's just not in the nature of any big company, especially a PepsiCo to do it. Right. And that's why they, you know, they, they, they leave these sort of opportunities to, to guys like us who are, are willing to sort of, you know, scratch and claw our way into a great idea and, and make it into a real consumer proposition. And uh, do you position it 
I mean, do you just see it as everyday hydration? Do you, do you have a, an angle or a tint towards sort of sports and recovery? How, how do you overarchingly describe the role of that? that right. Role? Well, you know, if you think about the way Bob described protein, like you don't really need to explain protein to people, right? Um, electrolytes work a lot of the same way. I mean, man, when I was at Gatorade, we had to explain electrolytes, right? But the elect there's been an insane electrolyte explosion in this country over the last, you know, I don't know, like five to 10 years of, of sort of people understanding what it's good for. So, you know, people have this general understanding that, uh, that, that electrolytes are important for recovery and staying hydrated, right? You put that with protein, it, it doesn't need a lot of explanation. That's, that's the great thing here, right? The, the electrolytes definitely allow us to talk to a more sports fitness minded consumer because we know they're looking for that benefit. But we don't, again, we don't need to explain it very much. The, the irony here is that even the less sports minded, the, the, the people who are not drinking protein to over for fitness, those people are asking and reaching for the electrolytes as well because they already know the benefit. Their doctors are telling them about staying hydrated. They know they have to have their 64 ounces of water a day. And so, you know, again, like back to the idea that we are providing benefits to people that don't require a lot of thought so that they could, you know, get everything they need in, in a refreshing low calorie form. And I think, I'm not sure most people know this, but one of the benefits of protein is, is when you, when you, when you, when you drink and, and, and drinking protein is, is the, is, besides an IV is the fastest way to get protein into your system. But when you're an athlete and you're out there participating and you, you start to get tired, your muscles start, start releasing lactic acid, which causes your muscle to be sore and causes you to, 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 to not be as energized as you are. And what protein does is it, it, it feeds that muscle with, with the protein and then it allows you to run further, run faster. It, 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 it delays the release of lactic acid. So if you have protein, which is a perfect product for most anyone, but especially an athlete, and then you provide the uh, uh, electrolytes, I mean, there's not much not to like about that. It's, it's really a great product for anybody looking to live that active lifestyle. Well, I must disclose my five years I spent at GlaxoSmithKline on Luke's Sport, and it's that's a uh, little to wink. So, uh, so I'm so fascinated in it, and know that the struggle, the, the struggles they had at really, really innovating beyond, effectively Luke's Sport. You know, the original Gatorade as it is, and that's not even coming close to the size of Gatorade. Yeah. Um, I just think the combination with electrolytes is just so simple and so obvious for this for this drink particularly for the hotter states as well, that just know inherently when it's warm, they should drink a little bit more and the retention of fluid. I assume that they understand that is good. Um, so I suspect that will be a good one for you too. And internationally, um, potentially. Plants. Love, come on. I mean, plants, vegan, however that's described, but huge, huge trend, huge trend. And you, you've done it. Now, as, as far as I'm aware, you are the only plant-based protein water available. Um, is that correct? That's correct. Um, plant was, it was a hard project for us. I was going to say, Bob, you don't do things by halves. I mean, Jesus, the first protein water, one of the first seven <laughs> ahead of the curve, trying to educate a big country and consumers. Then you try and put some other benefits in together, although it's obvious to you and I, and then you go and launch the first plant-based protein water, knowing how tricky that is. That's, yeah. a, that's a hellish, um, that's a hellish ambition. So tell yeah, us. It, it was, it was hard, Nick. I won't, I won't, I, it, it's, it's like, imagine a can full of peas and putting it in water and making it taste good. It's, <laughs> it doesn't happen really. Uh, it, it's, it's hard. You, you know, make it sound good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so this was probably, it took us a couple of years. We, um, we worked with a lot of different formulators. We worked with probably 20 different types of plant protein. And finally, we met this group of scientists who created a plant protein that they actually encapsulated it. So you couldn't really taste the, you couldn't really, you know, it, it improved the taste incredibly. 
So we we're working with um, we're working with a with um, a plant protein supplier. We actually have an exclusive relationship with them in the beverage world, which we're fortunate to have them as a partner. And we have a product that that actually tastes really good. I mean, it's 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 vegan. It's um, the flavors are are different, and so far we're 4.0 stars on Amazon, and you know not everybody loves it. I can tell you right now, we're working hard on what can we do to make it better, right? So listening to the consumers, listening to some of the bad reviews that we've had, us understanding that maybe we can make it better. But yeah, we did it, and it tastes and it tastes good, and I and I and I love it, and and. You know, any company that ignores, in my mind, the benefit of a, of a plant-based diet or a plant-based all-natural product is, is, is maybe, maybe, making, maybe, maybe making a mistake. You know, we, you know, we're focused on, look, if you want to drink a great tasting, low-calorie protein beverage, then you need to go to Protein 2.0. We certainly have done pretty good on the on the water side, and 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 our product has fifty percent less calories than the the top plant based drinks on the market today. So again, it's that it's that creating a product that tastes good. Will they buy the can? Will they is 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 the is the label good? Yeah, the label's pretty good, we think. Um, but will you buy it again? And then the benefit is that you're getting half the calories. And virtually no carbs, that 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 the and 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 very few ingredients that the number one selling plant-based shakes are delivering today. Look, we're not going after these big brands of plant-based shakes. We're just going after that consumer that maybe doesn't want all the calories or wants to you know wants to wants to wants to get that protein that really they should be seeking. Why is it in a can? Good question. <laughs> It's in a can because in order for us to produce a great tasting product, we couldn't be. If, if and this is pretty technical, Nick. But if, if you're if you're um, if you're producing a a, a, a hot filled beverage, you're producing it as a high acid product or low acid, low acid. And so, at a, it was impossible to flavor a low acid plant based product. It no one would ever buy it again. So we produced a neutral pH product. And in order to do that, we had to put it in a can. I wonder whether it would be technical, but there's probably something in there where you've got, um, you've got a, a different, obviously, format consumption from, from, the, from the bottles on the, on the plus and, and the, the standard protein to O, which, to be honest, I think is actually quite nice. You know, visually, you know, probably gives you a little bit of different choice in, in different channels, et cetera. So I... I kind of wondered whether it was any sort of really hot off the press consumer insight that led to cans as well, but um, maybe maybe there is. But actually, what drove it was the technical aspects. Yeah, but it also is it also understanding that we think the consumer base is going to swing more female than male, and based on my ex extensive experience in this in, at Walgreens, that can is just perfect for. The, the female consumer, right? One of the things I, 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 was, I was always astounded at what made the difference on a purchase. You know, Fiji water always confused me, you know, but it actually Fiji water was a lot more expensive, but it's actually a fashion statement, right? I'm drinking Fiji and the bottle was different. Well, the, the consumer, and, and, and I studied water, I studied bottles and I said, why would you pick this brand or that brand? And, and one of the drivers to purchase for females was the idea that 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 it was a that it was a a, a great can right like it was a, a little bit of a statement and that it fit into her hand and this and this 12 ounce slimline can is perfect for that yeah it looks pretty slick looks pretty slick and um initial initial i mean you know how was it going in in descriptive subjectively however you want to describe it you feel it's had the traction in the initial spot that you wanted it to do but well, we, we're getting reorders from Amazon every week. Um, you know, it's never, uh, it's never, uh, it's, you know, it, it, we're, I, would, I would say we're happy. 
but not satisfied. But not satisfied, <laughs> which has described my entire life. <laughs> the pause a little bit said it said it there, but um, no, no, that's good. I mean, you've got you've got a launch, you've got to move, you've got to be ahead of the game. So, um, yeah, really fascinating. I suppose just before we move on to the last two areas, um, what's the future of innovation look like? Um, which you can choose to answer with detail or 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 a little bit of detail, whatever you like. But um, you've mentioned already that innovation is going to be crucial to the continued growth. Of, of the brand. So um, I've probably, would you, I'm, I'm going to assume you, you might consider something like carbonated as a choice to be more, um, how would we describe it? Sophisticated protein water consumer, maybe. I don't know. You know, I, I yes, you know, innovation, yes. <laughs> We're certainly looking at cans. Um, carbonated. Carbonated. Um, we think that that is, we think that that is going to be something in the future. We have created product that tastes really good. Uh, and I would not be surprised to see us doing something in that space in the, in the next six months to a year. You know, we're, we're gonna be kind of careful with this one. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think we're gonna continue to be innovative. I think we're definitely looking at sparkling as we think that's a, that's a thing. You know, but if you're used to paying 30 cents a can or 40 cents a can for a sparkling beverage, it's, it's, you know, we, we're, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be more expensive than that. And so, you know, that's, 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 that's some of our thought process, but yeah, we think we can create a great tasting We know we can create a great tasting carbonated protein beverage. We're sure of it. Um, There'll be a lot of people asking, and probably just touching this on really quickly, but just what was the impact? Because obviously you're in you're in retail, some you know bricks and mortar, um, although you've got a lot going through Amazon as well. What was the impact of of or the current impact of COVID? Because as far as aware, it's not gone away yet, sadly. But um, what was the impact of COVID? I mean, you announced some pretty phenomenal rate to 2019 to 2020, 30 million US dollars plus. But I'm going to assume you were you were hampered by um, the pandemic. What impact was that? COVID was hard for us. Um, the second week of March, we saw some of our retail sales go down by more than 60%. So if you were doing 10,000 cases a week, we were doing 4,000 cases a week. COVID was really difficult. It's difficult for everybody, right? It's, it's a horrible, it's, it's, it's you know, the, you know I, I feel there's light at the end of the tunnel for us but it was hard. We couldn't go out and sample the product. Um, retail chains didn't have the, the staff or the people that could go out and keep their shelves full, right? It's, it was, they were relying on the DSD vendors to keep their shelves full. And hey, if I was a DSD vendor and I noticed there was no protein to all in this spot, I know what I would have done. I would have put my product there. And yes, that's what happened, but, but it was hard. And, you know, we, we're doing, I mean, we had a good year. We're doing our best. We're, we're seeing a lot of it come back. In some cases, we've, we've, we're getting close to what we, we, we were in a, in a lot of chains and even more in some chains. But COVID was very difficult for us and it's been difficult for everyone. So um, I feel like we've adjusted, we're, we're trying to do, we're trying to, you know, we, Andy's changed the way he's marketing. He's changed a lot. Maybe you want to speak to a little bit about that. Well, I mean, I just think that like it, you know, we have to be very, obviously there's the thematic sort of way to like be sensitive to what's going on in the universe. Right. But like the fact is, you know, more people are buying online, less, fewer people are experimenting. Right. Um, you know, fewer people are going to the gym. Um, you know, people are not leaving their house. They have economic impact. There's so many reasons why a, a, a small nascent brand will struggle in this sort of environment. And so it's really been through, you know, um, very hyper-targeting, very specific messaging, um, and, you know, a, online, and then, you know, focused on key retailers where we can get displays put up. Um, where we could do timely promotions and um, things like that, that have just, it, it, it's been a good sort of go back to school thing and, and, and learn to do things at the most basic foundational form, right? 
but but I'm going to assume that the changes in the adaptation or your evolution in such a short space of time is going to have some serious legacy to the way that you do business um, from a marketing point of view. And anyway, is there any solution to the the inhibition or the limitations that direct store distribution would have had in this situation? I mean, ultimately, that COVID, I suspect, exposes the extent of direct store distribution and what comes off the trucks for what had to go on the trucks. That exposes a supply chain. So. Oh how, how, how do we adapt around that in the U.S.? Listen, I mean, it's going to be a constant struggle. And, you know, there are two really interesting examples of, of things that have happened even recently, right? Like we have a massive sort of promotion going on with Costco right now, right? Um, and, and they're amazing partners for us, right? But, you know, even in its first sort of four or five you know, days of a, of a month long, you know, a big promotion for us, we still couldn't get product to every club on time, right? And that has a lot to do with just trucking lanes and availability of, of truckers and the backlog of, of trucks trying to get appointments for receiving, right? That's an impact where we have a big sort of kick off the year promotion with a retailer in the Southeast US Publix, right? Um, you know, we have out of stocks in stores simply because our distributor can't get the product. Um, we can't get the truck into the warehouse and they can't get the trucks filled with sort of non-necessity items into the stores. You know, so we're a product like ours is, you know, going to be hard to, uh, to, to compete with in a tr truck space against um, cleaning supplies you know, tissues and toilet paper, milk, eggs, and your basics. So, it, you know, the COVID's impact on our ability to even get product in the right place is, is a challenge that we're still living with right now. To be honest, I mean, we, we have our own challenge over here in, in Europe and, and, and the complexity of multiple markets and, and so on. I just always find it mind-blowing whenever I talk to um, companies in the US about direct store distribution and getting products shipped around the country. It's just ginormous, isn't it? And um, whew, what, a, what a fight um, to, to, you know, but when you get that right, when you find the right deals, my assumption is um, that is such a big area in terms of what can fuel, can fuel the future and, and continued growth at the rate that you've been growing. It, it must be single-handedly one of the most important factors that you'll spend time scratching your head about, I assume. For sure, but I mean, it also gives you the great belief of the optimism ahead, right? Like we're weathering this insane challenge. Um, we've developed some new sort of practices and ways that it will improve our business in the future anyway. Um, but we see around the corner here and if in, a normal, in normal conditions, um, we see an, an enormous opportunity ahead to succeed just based on the fact that we're succeeding in these very tough times. And, and just as a last area to finish off, and I promise it'll be uh, last bit, if you're doing um, the growth that you achieved um, last year to this year, how long will it take you to get to um, 100 million US dollars? I'd like to tell you next week. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think, um, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I don't, I've never been one to set goals. I, I am, we're trying as, we, we do everything right that we possibly can, right? You, you, you have great team members that work with you. You have a, a great product that literally is improving all the time. If we deliver what we promise and we deliver a product with no barriers, and we deliver a product that has actual benefits, which we do, then the rest of that will take care of itself. We, we can't afford, a company like ours can't afford to go to a DS, going DSD is a very expensive proposition for a company like ours. It adds another layer, which affects the end price to the consumer. So yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to say we're gonna get to $100 million this year. Andy's head of sales, and I'm gonna challenge you, Andy, to get to $100 million. <laughs> But I know, I, I know the one thing with you, if we, if we deliver again on us, if we deliver what the consumer is looking for, and if, we can, and if we can get that consumer to buy it again, and if we can get that consumer to tell their neighbor, or we can get that consumer 
then, then we're going to be fine, right? And that's how we work. It's, it's yeah, I have budgets, I have a board, I, it, you know, we have numbers. Uh, but I mean, our budget in 2020 was set in 2019 and COVID wasn't, a, wasn't an idea when we set that number. We hit that sales budget in 2020 that the board said in 2019. I wasn't aiming to hit that number. I was aiming to, to, to maximize what we did to bring profitable sales into our company and grow it the right way. I will tell you that without a doubt, we lost at least $6 million in sales due to COVID in, in 2020, without a doubt. It's easily, easily quantifiable. But we don't, you know, and we have a budget number for 2021 and we have a budget number 2022. I, I, I like it as a starting point, but my goal is always to exceed that number and exceed it in doing it the right way, not just some of the time, but all of the time. And if we handle what we know best and if we always do it the right way and we don't compromise and we never compromise on anything, and we always deliver to that consumer what that consumer is looking for us, for from us. Then we will be fine. And our our, our repurchase rate on Amazon is incredible. I think thirty percent of the people that buy us on Amazon buy us within thirty days. Like I said, that's an incredible number. Deliver what you promise to the consumer, and when you fail, take care of it and make them not only satisfied, but ecstatic is our mantra. And that's what we do every day. Andy does a great job of it. My, my son, Rob, our, our team, it's, it's, that's what we do. Over deliver to the consumer. Don't over promise, don't talk about it. Over deliver and, and those consumers will take care of you. And that's kind of what we're doing. Yeah. Perfect. I don't think there's a need to finish or ask another question when you deliver um, when you deliver that statement, Bob, because I think that encompasses actually one of my last questions has always been be around entrepreneurial spirit. But basically, if you if you deliver that from the outset, from the top, through every person through the business, um, and yes, we ask about financial figures, and, and people are prepared to give them, and it's, it's really nice, and it helps give context for everyone listening. But ultimately, they are a, they are a result of how you run the business and the principles that you. Uh, run through the business and the way that you live and breathe them so as a as an end point to the podcast it's absolutely great to hear um it's also great to hear you know the success that you're having and and actually as you said um andy you're just at the beginning of the runway um and actually after the six months we've all just had if not longer you know that it sort of kind of looks even more optimistic we we assume on the basis that we're going to come out of it um yeah. so so with that i i say thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for your time and your contribution and and your your honesty openness and transparency and, and insights because it's been a lot of fun so thank you both i loved it thank you nick we loved it too it's just so easy to work with and we love we love that you took the time to talk to us thank you another nice way to finish a podcast bob the founder giving you demonstrating his passion for his business and how he installs that in the way that they go about their day-to-day -day jobs and i think that's really important for us to reflect on they've not only built a great business but as bob describes uh, at the end and throughout that it's about having the right goals um, and going after this with the enthusiasm and passion for people who love product. I think above everything else that we listened today, of course, it was nice to understand how successful they're being, but maybe just how immature the market remains. But the thing that sticks with me is something from the very beginning, the description of protein 2 being a low calorie version, being the diet Coke to Coke. Because from all the conversations I have, people always get lost on how to position, how to communicate, how functional should you be? How mainstream is this? And how are we gonna get more people buying into this but not getting lost in messages that they don't ultimately necessarily engage with? 
their mindset seven years ago from from the start emphasizes ultimately the mainstream opportunity for this and interestingly they're growing they've established a great business but as they both say and perhaps for everyone listening it is only the start of the runway and when you combine the macro trend of protein you stick that together with functional waters then i think with good curation some a little bit of skill great expertise some creativity along the way i suspect protein waters are here to stay it's just my opinion but hopefully one that can continue to stimulate the debate the discussion and help everyone listening answer some of your questions and hypotheses so with that of course we thank bob and andy for some great banter great discussion great passion um and of course fantastic insight so we hope you enjoyed um and we'll be back again very shortly with another great episode so take care and see you soon